Hello, everyone. Welcome back to my podcast. I want to start, of course, with thanking all of you for taking some time out of your day to tune in and listen to this podcast. I want to also apologize for the delay and getting another episode up for you guys. Uh, of course, life has been going on, work's been going on, and um, I've actually been working in my free time on a few different episodes, so that way there's not as much delay between episodes. So, Hoping to make things a little bit more structured going forward, but without further ado, uh, today's episode is going to be focused on Eric Harris and Dylan Kleboyd, who a lot of people don't consider as being serial killers, but these are the two individuals that are responsible for the Columbine shooting uh, at the Columbine High School uh, several years ago. And they are, in fact, classified as serial killers. And once I get through the story and what took place on that, uh, that particular day, I think you all will see uh, some pretty consistent similarities that they share with some other individuals who uh, grow into becoming these uh, these killers. So together, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold uh, had many dreams. So they wrote elaborate plans for a major explosion on a par with the Oklahoma City bombing. Another scheme involved hijacking a plane at Denver International Airport, uh, flying 2,600 kilometers and crashing it into a building in New York. Ultimately, they chose their target as going to be a public building that they know no better than their own high school. So had everything gone according to plan, their rampage known as the Columbine High School Massacre would have actually ended up being the worst school shooting in history. So Eric David Harris was born on April 9th, 1981 in Wichita, Kansas. Uh, he's the second son of a part-time caterer and a United States Air Force transport pilot. In July of 1993, the family relocated to Littleton, Colorado. They lived in a rented accommodation for three years eventually buying a house in an upper-middle-class neighborhood close to Columbine High School. Dylan Bennett Claybold, a native of Colorado, was born in Lakewood on September 11th, 1981, 20 years to the day before the events of 9-11. His mother was an employment counselor. His father had a small home-based real estate business. And the two, Harrison Klebold, met as boys while attending middle school. So they were friends for several years before any of this conspired. Um, so they have a lot in common. In 1996, Harris set up a website devoted to Doom, a violent computer game in which players must kill demons and zombies to reach a higher level of play. Also posted on the site were jokes and brief entries concerning his parents, his friends, and his school. So it wasn't long before Harris began to add instructions on how to make explosives and actually records the trouble that he and Clayboyd were causing. So they actually took you to the stores with them in videos, got the different items to put together these homemade bombs and put this on display for other people after the fact. So the site had a few visitors. It attracted little attention until late 1997 when the parents of Harris's former friend, Brooks Brown, discovered that it contained death threats aimed against their son. So after further investigation by the sheriff's office, it did reveal that other threats were directed at the students and the teachers of Columbine High School. And that is where Harris and Klebold were in fact students. So Harris had posted remarks concerned concerning his hatred of society and the desire he had to kill. So it's not always that these kinds of feelings are 
uh, actually brought to the surface and shared. A lot of times they're internalized and that's what drives these individuals to make such impulsive and aggressive decisions. Uh, but he did actually post some public remarks that kind of drew some attention to the fact that he may or may not have some malicious intent. So a few months into that investigation of the website, in January of 1998, Harris and Klebold were caught in the act of stealing computer equipment from a van. They attended a joint court hearing where it was decided that they both needed psychiatric help. The pair avoided prosecution by participating in a program that involved three months of counseling and community service. So although both expressed regret when in public, in his journal, Harris actually wrote of his cleverness in deceiving the judge. So it was all an act. So not long after the court hearing, Harris removed the section of his website in which he had posted his thoughts and threats. However, as the date of the massacre drew nearer, he added a new section in which he kept a record of his gun collection and bomb-making activities. He also included a hit list of those he wished to target, and the sheriff's office wrote a draft affidavit for a search warrant of the Harris house, but it was never actually filed. So nothing was done at that point. So exactly when Harris and Klebold began planning their massacre had been a matter of some debate. So they're not sure exactly when the, uh, they conspired to actually start forming this plan. But at some point in time, fairly early on, they began to work towards uh, what will then become one of the most tragic days in American history. So what can be said uh, with certainty is that their actions were not a result of a whim. So over the course of several months, again, Harrison Klebold had built their bombs. They gathered their ammunition. They worked towards what they saw as this larger goal. They were well aware that they would be made famous by their actions, infamy at best. Um, Harris left a collection of videos in which the two had discussed their motivations. So if none of you have seen the Zero Day Columbine, the last thing I want to do is be an advocate for a movie that is making money based on a lot of people witnessing the actual footage of the school shooting. But you will actually see where on the 18th birthday, uh, there was a gift given by parents to the boys of a video camera, and it was used to actually document this entire plan as it was put together. So Harris recalled that as a member of a military family, he had to move from town to town, always having to start afresh. He also expressed the resentment of his brother, Byron, who was extremely popular and an accomplished athlete. His parents accepted Klebold, spoke about their grievances he had with his family. He also treated him, he said, treated him as their inferior. So there was a little bit of disconnect within the family unit in itself. Uh, the pair relished the place they would stake in history through their actions. Hollywood, they were certain, would fight over the rights to their story. And the two discussed who might make the better film, Steven Spielberg or Quentin Tarantino. And just to kind of put in perspective, this was the mindset these two were in. Not how tragic the end result was going to be if everything came to fruition as they were hoping it would. But it was the infamy and what was to gain as far as popularity goes on their end. So obviously a, a, a bit construed. They were so dedicated to the documentation of their designs that they made a tape just prior to their departure for the high school. Um, Klebold first, the first to speak announces it's a half hour before our judgment day. After saying goodbye to his parents, he adds, I don't like life very much. Just know I'm going to, I'm going to a much better place than here. So already kind of planting the seed that it is most likely going to be a murder suicide, um, at best. 
Harris's farewell is much more rushed. I know my mom and dad will be in shock and belief. He says, I can't help it. That was kind of his, his goodbye to his family in its entirety. It's what we had to do, Clibold adds. They spent some time creating something of a video will, listing various belongings and where they wanted these to go, which friends they wanted to have certain items. And when Klebold determines that it's time to go, Harris concludes, that's it, sorry, goodbye. What followed did not go according to plan, so everything had been mapped out in such great detail, yet the events that took place on that sunny Tuesday in April were largely different and seemed to be more of the result of an improvisation. So Harris and Klebold planned the massacre to begin in the late morning of April 20th, 1999. So their first step was planting a firebomb in the field not far from the school. It was set to explode just prior to the start of their assault on the school, and it is assumed to have been placed as a diversion for emergency personnel. So the bomb did detonate, though only partially. So the small fire it caused was easily extinguished by the local fire department. So their entire plan was to have this bomb set off. They wanted the entire school to be destroyed by the end of everything. So when the pair arrived at the school in separate cars, they parked in different parking areas. Klebold walked over to where Harris had parked. There they armed their two 9-kilogram propane bombs, enough to destroy the cafeteria and bring down the library above it. And with five minutes to detonation, they carried duffel bags containing the bombs into the cafeteria, left them out on the floor, and returned to their respective cars. Now, en route to his car, Harris encountered Brooks Brown and warned him, Brooks, I like you. Now get out of here. Go home. Now, Harrison Klebold's plan was to wait and fire upon students fleeing the explosion. However, when both bombs failed to detonate, Klebold went back to Harris's car, carrying duffel bags containing a 9mm semi-automatic rifle and a 9mm semi-automatic pistol, in addition to two sawed-off 12-gauge shotguns and a number of explosive devices. Then they walked together towards the cafeteria entrance and stopped on the outdoor steps. Now, at 11.19, the pair pulled out their shotguns. They began firing at the students. Their first shots were directed at two students eating lunch on the lawn. Uh, one of the two, a girl, became the first fatality. Although Klebold entered the cafeteria briefly, presumably to determine why the bombs had not detonated, the pair focused for the first few minutes on the outside of the high school. Now, while shooting, they began to throw pipe bombs on the lawn, the roof, into the car park, like the cafeteria bombs, those all proved to be duds as well. Thank goodness, right? So five minutes after the first shot was fired, a sheriff's deputy who happened to be on the campus began exchanging fire with the gunman. Now, while this was happening, Dave Sanders, who was a teacher at the time, managed to evacuate the cafeteria through the staircase leading up to the second floor. And when Harris and Klebold ran into the school and proceeded down two corridors, shooting, throwing pipe bombs, they eventually entered into the library where they shot out the windows and began to fire at the police officers outside. The gunmen then turned around and set their sights on students who had been hiding under tables. Now, guys, in the next seven minutes, Harrison Klebold killed 10 people and injured 12 others. When the gunmen left the library, they proceeded to the science area, firing indiscriminately. Coming across locked classroom doors, they would peer inside of the students but make no attempt to gain entry. Uh, the gunman returned to the cafeteria where Harris attempted without success to detonate one of the failed propane bombs. The gunman drank from cups students had left behind on the tables and looked out the windows, watching as the emergency vehicles arrived. They then left, wandered around the school's main corridors, 
Again, they looked at students through the windows of locked classroom doors, never attempted to enter their rooms, and they paused outside a washroom entrance, taunting the students inside by saying they were about to enter and kill whoever they found. However, they never went in. Rather, they just continued to walk around seemingly without any sort of aim. Now at 12.05, nearly a half an hour after they had left, Harrison Klebold re-entered the library to find it nearly empty. All but two survivors had managed to get away. Now one pretended to be dead and the other, Patrick Ireland, was unconscious. The gunman attempted to shoot at police officers through the windows without success. After setting a Molotov cocktail alight, Klebold watched as Harris killed himself. Seconds later, he took his own life. Two and a half hours later, Ireland regained consciousness. He crawled out through the window where he was picked up by SWAT team members. It would be nearly another hour before the police officers finally entered into the library. Now, by this time, Harrison Klebold had been dead for just under three and a half hours. It was estimated that nearly 800 police officers circled the school that day, but not one of them entered the building while the two gunmen were still alive. Harrison Klebold's shooting spree lasted approximately 49 minutes. Guys, all of those killed or injured were shot during the first 16 minutes. Witnesses report that they'd killed their final victim. Both gunmen remarked that the thrill they had of shooting people. So that was the final remarks that they made was the satisfaction that they had. Even though it didn't go quite as planned, uh, it was still effective enough because several lives were taken. So guys, the combination of, of course, there being a long-term history of uh, insecurity um, self-doubt, self-loathing, all of these things have trickled into their almost adulthood and had resulted in such a horrible massacre. There is a movie called Zero Day Columbine, and I want to warn all of you, and again, I don't want to advertise this, but I do think that there is a level of education that comes along with it. I think when you do get to see the actual footage and see how ruthless and how Sure, and matter of fact that these two were about making these decisions and how there was a a real possibility that they they could have been stopped earlier on had the officers have come into the building. Um, and you see everything kind of play out over time. So if you want to see it, it's Zero Day Columbine. I do want to warn you, it is graphic. It does show visuals of the two taking their own lives at the very end of it. And... In no way do I, again, want to bring attention to something so tragic. But uh, if you are interested, you know, I, of course, watched it myself. So I hope you all enjoyed this as much as you could. I hope that it's been some level of educational. Each week, I'm going to do a video on a different serial killer or serial killers if they are associated with one another. And then, of course, I'd like to start doing more educational videos of kind of the inner workings of a serial killer's mind, sociopaths versus psychopaths and, and all of that. So hope you all have a great day and thanks so much for tuning in.